Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live. It is indeed Wednesday, March 3rd. It is Wednesday in the second week of Lent. We are on an hour earlier tonight. It is only 5.30 here in the Central Time Zone, and that is because, well, Father Sean the Baptist has other duties other than just doing his show. Uh, we've got first penance tonight for uh, half of our uh, School of Religion kids anyway. We'll do the other half next week, so for tonight... And also next week, we are going to be uh, at this 5.30 earlier time. Now, obviously, if you're jumping on here at 6.30, you've got the recorded version, and you can watch it too. It's just, well, it's not Sean the Baptist live. It's Sean the Baptist was live, not anymore. Uh, so good uh, for all those who are, in fact, joining live tonight. Um, wanted to kind of do something a little bit uh, uh, different tonight, sometimes that I will do from time to time, and, and that is take questions. Uh, I call it the liturgy question box because I, I literally used to have a, uh, a box that people could put questions in, and then it became an email uh, liturgy question box. But uh, if you've ever wanted to ask a real live priest, in this case a degreed liturgical nerd, uh, you want to ask something, uh, well, I am, I'm happy to answer. And so you've got your, your chance tonight to ask a priest real live uh, questions about well that crazy thing we do as Catholics and let's be honest there's a lot of them uh, but especially when it comes to worship the the celebration of the mass and uh, everything that goes into that uh, how do we get these feast days of, of saints what about fasting and what's all this uh, about well tonight you're gonna you're gonna get your chance because we're gonna talk a little bit about the liturgy and uh, as we get ready to do that, I am going to go ahead and uh, make sure that I can see your questions here tonight, because sometimes that's uh, a little more difficult than, than you might think uh, to be able to do, uh, because I, I like to see the, the questions. And I, I, uh, as you might notice, uh, depending on where you're watching from, so I can simultaneously go to uh, both my, my Sean the Baptist page, but uh, also... I can go to the, the St. Patrick uh, page. So you are uh, welcome to watch either place, um, but it does mean that I have to kind of pull up in two different places uh, where the uh, the questions might be. And if we're, we're going to do a question show, uh, it always kind of helps to to be able to, well, actually see your questions. Man, I got like a, a spot or something here. I think I killed a bug. No, there we go. Um, and yeah, this is live. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, uh, I am happy Welcome to, uh, to get your questions. And right now I see we got some people watching on St. Patrick and I see we, we've also got some people watching on John the Baptist. So, uh, happy to have you on both sides. Uh, we've entered a, uh, liturgical season, uh, Lent. Lent is a liturgical season and it's one that people seem to know quite a lot about, even if you're not Catholic. Most people realize that well, now is in uh, fact uh, Lent, and and so they're they're happy to uh, join along with us, even if you're not Catholic, to, to celebrate this season of, of Lent. Who knew that uh, people could be such liturgists, and yet yet they are. So maybe one of the the things that uh, would be helpful uh, right off the bat to to point out is. Um, we have in the church calendar these these various seasons, and we've we've talked about how that works before. But I'd like to to little tonight uh, start off while we wait for the questions to come in, uh, assuming that there will be some. Uh, I, I'll be happy to uh, kind of talk a little bit about for starters. Well, what what about uh, there's actually two different liturgical cycles going on at at the same time. One of those. Uh, is the what we call the seasonal cycle, and so you would recognize that we are in the uh, the season of of Lent. Um, however, there's also what we call the sanctoral or the cycle of the saints, and and so we we also celebrate saints. And so every now and then you see like, well, we would celebrate this saint, but Sunday, a seasonal kind of day, trumps it. Well, during Lent, it's a, a really interesting kind of time because uh, we don't exactly celebrate the the saints, at least not in in the same way. Uh, in order to make sure that the 
the the calendar of the the days of Lent takes precedence. Um, all of the in the modern calendar anyway, all of the the saints that would be celebrated, you, you don't normally see the priest. Uh, in fact, you wouldn't uh, during Lent normally see the priest wearing white and uh, celebrating uh, an, a saint by name. Could include the saint in some various prayers and things, but for the most part, uh, all of the the feast days of saints get reduced to what's known as a commemoration. Meaning, uh, in the modern calendar, it means that they could get included by, um, you could use the saints opening prayer, or you could use it maybe for the conclusion of the petitions, or, or something like that, it's suggested. But you would not hear the, the full mass. Like today is, uh, would normally be on the calendar, St. Catherine Drexel. Uh, she would normally get a memorial, or the, the lowest level of a feast day. Instead, her feast is superseded by the, the ferial, or weekday of Lent. And uh, so she gets reduced to a commemoration and maybe not mentioned at all or, or maybe uh, mentioned at some other place. So we've got the seasonal cycle and the sanctoral cycle. So you got seasonal things and then the saints almost always match up on a calendar day every year. So they have a set date. Like today is March 3rd. That's Catherine Drexel. March 3rd wouldn't have to be in Lent. So on some days she could get celebrated in other years. Uh, she doesn't like like this. So um, within that, uh, I mentioned one of those weird words, uh, ferial, F-E-R-I-A-L. Uh, basically, days are either festival days, meaning a feast, or ferial, meaning, well, not a feast. Uh, so uh, in the, in fact, if you were to, to go to, to Rome, for instance, uh, and you look at the, the sign even at the, the bus stops, you, you've got the, the ferial schedule and, and the festival schedule. And it's going to refer to weekdays or, or Sunday because things run, run differently. Uh, so in the church, we use those, those same kind of uh, distinctions um, to, to denote between whether it is a, a normal weekday, like today is a ferial day in Lent, so it is Wednesday, of the second week in ordinary uh, of Lent, second week of Lent, um, and uh, it, it, we could also have a, a feast day, such as when we get to uh, March nineteenth, the Solemnity of Saint Joseph, or March twenty fifth, the Solemnity of the Annunciation. So you've got those kind of two things competing during Lent. So if the if you find that your priest did not celebrate your favorite saint. Uh, at Mass, like normal, like you're a big fan of Catherine Drexel, just know that during Lent, the uh, the saints get kind of suppressed or reduced, uh, as it were, okay? Um, so that's a, a little bit about some of the, the quirks that we have uh, in the calendar right now. Okay, so uh, one of the uh, liturgical things that you may or may not have noticed, and I, I don't want to offend any ears here, but... Um, I'm going to say the A word. And of course, by that, I mean, Alleluia. Okay, now, it's okay to say Alleluia out, outside uh, during Lent, outside of the liturgy. But you'll notice during the liturgy, we don't say the A word anymore. Uh, in fact, as soon as Lent began, it disappeared. Or if you follow the traditional calendar, as soon as the pre-Lenten season of Septuagesima began, the A word disappeared. And uh, it's kind of a, it's a tradition with a little t in, in that uh, we particularly associate, at least in the West, uh, the word Alleluia, the A word, with uh, Easter and rejoicing. Uh, it, it wouldn't necessarily have to have that kind of connotation. It does mean praise the Lord. Uh, Hallel, uh, you might recognize from the Hebrew as, as praise and Yah, abbreviation of the word Yahweh, the word for God. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily have to imply anything Easter, but in the, the liturgy, uh, it has taken on this connotation of an Easter sort of word. Uh, and so we fast, as it were, uh, from the, the A word during Lent, uh, and so it disappears from the liturgy. You know, it would normally kind of come before the gospel, and it might be, be worked in some other places as well. Well, not during Lent. In fact, there's, a, there's an old tradition that... Uh, at the beginning of Lent, uh, you would actually, maybe on a banner or paper or some kind of a, some kind of a visual display, have the word Alleluia, and then it would get put into a little coffin or something like that, and actually get buried out in the churchyard, 
It's called Burying the Alleluia, and it, it goes away and then is resurrected at the uh, solemn vigil of Easter. And this is a, a beautiful thing because when it comes back uh, at the Easter vigil, uh, if the deacon is there celebrating with the bishop, uh, there's, a, there's a beautiful little kind of quasi little ceremony of resurrecting the Alleluia. And you'll see it if you, like, for instance, watch Mass with uh, the Pope from the Vatican. And uh, the, the deacon comes out. If, if you've ever seen, like, when the, the Pope is elected, uh, the, he's called the, the proto-deacon, the, the head cardinal deacon. He comes out on the balcony of St. Peter's and Annuncio Vobis, Gaudium Magnum. I, I announce to you a great joy. Habemus Papam. We have a Pope. Uh, well, something similar happens in the liturgy at Easter. Uh, the, the deacon comes out and says, Most blessed Beatissima Pater, uh, Annuncio uh, te Gaudium Magnum. I, I announce to you a great joy, uh, quote S, that is, Alleluia. So, little bit of trivia. Uh, who is the first person to say Alleluia at Easter? It's, it's the deacon uh, at a mass with a bishop. Or, if there is no bishop there, then the, uh, the missal actually indicates that the priest himself begins this, this chant in a, a solemn way in which it's chanted and then the pitch is raised, so it's sung like three times by the priest because we're so happy to get it back. So I say that merely to, to note, in case you haven't noticed, it's gone. There is no A word at mass right now. Instead, uh, in the uh, extraordinary form, uh, it's replaced with what's called the tract, or a, a longer sort of uh, reading uh, from scripture. Or if you're in the modern uh, Novus Ordo liturgy, it is uh, replaced with what is known as the verse before the gospel. Uh, and there are several options for a refrain, such as praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory, um, something like that. Uh, so anything to avoid the A word, there's a set kind of phrase you can use. And uh, then there's a, a little verse, just like there normally is with the Alleluia. And that uh, is all through Lent until the, uh, the Vigil of Easter. So there's a little liturgical note for you uh, of something you might notice. Now, also, uh, during Lent, there are a few other uh, unique liturgical directions. Um, one of which is uh, maybe one that you maybe see implemented only more or less well. And, and that is that, uh, theoretically at least, um, musical instruments don't play, uh, ideally, um, or in, in modern days, there's the concession that, uh, if, if musical instruments are necessary to support the singing, meaning like if you need the organ to play to kind of keep people on, on pitch, um, well, then that's okay. But, uh, in, in previous time, the, uh, the organ did, did not even play. There was no instrumental music uh, during the, the season of Lent. Um, and, and now it's allowed, supposedly, only to support the singing. And this is to, to moderate, again, um, some of the aesthetic of, of the season. So we take away even a little bit of the more enjoyable, maybe part of the music. And I, maybe enjoyable isn't the right word because um, when things are toned down, uh, literally during Lent, it, it does have its own beauty uh, in, in which you you do kind of uh, fast even from the more beautiful, like sitting back and listening to the music. I know like if, if a bunch of instruments are playing, for instance, it's easy to just kind of sit back and listen to it. Um, if, if it's chanted and without instruments, the, the only music is the voice. And you, you see pretty quick that if the people are supposed to be singing and they're not, uh, there ain't no music. <laughs> you are the music. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I really kind of like just that, that simpleness. Um, now, I, I like all kinds of music, uh, by the way. Uh, so it, it's not, um, you know, I, I, like, I like chant, but I also like, I also like opera. In, in Italy, they had problems because they wanted to bring opera into mass, and the Pope had to say, uh, no, opera is not sacred music. That's, that's secular music. That's entertaining. Um, but there's something about the nice, plain, chanted... Uh, anytime you see a movie and, you know, they want to pop into a Catholic church, you know, immediately. It's like this big, like, spacious 
church that's stone and it's got, you know, stained glass windows and there's incense and, and somebody's chanting from somewhere. And that's how you know it's Catholic. Um, would that our, our Catholic churches actually look like that. Um, but uh, that is our, our, our music. Now, I'd say I'd like all kinds of music. Uh, I was listening to some bluegrass today. Uh, Allison Krauss. Um, uh, also, uh, the uh, Steve Canyon Rangers uh, came out with a new uh, song. I, I like the bluegrass kind of for the, the same reason in that uh, there's nothing um, electronic amplified about it. it it's all just um, everything you see is right in front of you. All the strings vibrate and the voices, everything. Now, you, today we can we can amplify it, but it's, it's all natural, nothing synthesized there. So I kind of like that same natural kind of quality about the, uh, the chant. And even adding the organ was supposed to be kind of a natural sort of substitute for voices. If you... Uh, even the different um, sounds in the organ, they're known as different voicings. Uh, so the, the pipes of the organ are supposed to kind of represent the pipes of the human voice, and it kind of makes its own little choir. Um, so anyway, you might notice that during Lent. Something else liturgical you might notice during Lent is, at least theoretically again, uh, the altar is not to be decorated with flowers during Lent, uh, with one exception, and that is the fifth or the uh, fourth Sunday of Lent, which is Letare Sunday. Kind of like we, we have an Advent, that Gaudete Sunday thing on the, the third Sunday. You know, we light the uh, rose candle. It's a little bit of rejoicing in the middle. Well, we've got a similar day like that in the middle of Lent on the fourth Sunday of Lent, again, about halfway through, uh, called Laetare, which, like Gaudete, also means to rejoice. Same kind of idea. There are some linguistic nuances as to what kind of rejoicing Gaudete means versus Latari. But again, it's the same kind of principle. We stop in the middle of Lent, and on Latari Sunday, the organ can play, and there can be moderate flowers on the altar. So it's like a little break from our, our fasting in the, the middle of Lent. So you'll have that to look forward to on the fourth Sunday of Lent, and the rose vestments come back once again. So it's one of the two times during the year that we get the, the rose vestments. Now, uh, people, of course... Uh, want to know the season of Lent. When, how long does it go? When does it end? Uh, well, it starts on Ash Wednesday um, and it, it goes... Here's another trivia question for you. When does Lent end? Lent ends mid-afternoon of Holy Thursday and by the, the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, that starts the, the next season, which is the three-day season of Triduum. Triduum means three days. It's the, the Holy Three Days. So Lent ends mid-afternoon, evening, of uh, Holy Thursday. So uh, that, that's your chronological bit of, of Lent. Now, I have got a, a number of questions here uh, about, you know, Father, do, do Sundays count? This is the perennial question because people give up stuff for Lent, and we talked a little bit about this last week. It's nice. Go ahead, give up stuff for Lent. Take on stuff. Um, just so you know, it used to be that every day of Lent was a fast day. You know, that, that whole fast thing of one main meal and then two collations or small little snacks to get you through, but they don't equal one meal. Well, that used to be every day of Lent. And so Sundays are never fast days. So Sundays didn't count. That's why you take out the six Sundays from the 46 days and you add them back up to, back up to Wednesday. And that's, that's why we start early. Uh, yeah, so you get to 40 fast days, not counting Sundays, which are not fast days. So do Sundays count? Well, if you're fasting, no. Um, but if you gave up something else, like, I don't know, let's say, you, you know, you, you gave up uh, cheesecake for Lent. Does it make sense to eat cheesecake every Sunday and say you gave up cheesecake for Lent? I don't know. Maybe you eat cheesecake every day. And so having cheesecake just once a week on Sunday is actually doing pretty good. I don't know. Um, the, the thing about this is there are no rules. This is up to you. Okay, the only actual rule rules of, of Lent uh, are that we abstain from meat every Friday if you're over 14. And we fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday if, if you're 18 to, to 59. That's it. Those are the only hard and fast rules. The rest of it's up to you. So I think there is something we can learn there, though, to say that Sunday uh, is always meant to be a day of rejoicing. Now, people are pretty good about the whole, uh, oh, does Sunday count? And I maybe I'll, I'll be lax on Sunday. 
the problem is Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. So we should be going to Mass, obviously. Um, but even if we're, for instance, in a COVID kind of situation right now, where maybe you don't have the obligation to go to Mass because maybe it's still too dangerous for you. Like, maybe you're in the middle of uh, Myanmar, like uh, Father Michael here, who has the Burmese community from Myanmar. Um, you know, maybe it's not safe in Myanmar to go to Mass. If you live in Johnson County here, Wyandotte County, Kansas, uh, and you're in basically good health, you should be going to Mass. You can go out and do everything else. Go to Mass. You know, the, the obligation to attend Mass is technically not reinstated, but honestly, I don't know how many people went to Mass just because they had to anyway. Time to go to Mass. Um, however, going to Mass is not the Sunday obligation. That's one of the things you're supposed to do on Sunday. The other thing is you're supposed to abstain from all, used to be called servile work. You're, you're supposed to rest. You're supposed to take time to, to strip things away from your normal daily routine because it's, it's Sunday, it's the Lord's day. Uh, so if you wanna find something to, to focus on uh, this Lent, you wanna do Sunday's count. All right, forget whether or not, I don't care if you eat chocolate on Sunday or not, but try this, try just keeping Sunday holy. Make it actually the Lord's day. Uh, you know, eat chocolate if you want to, but abstain from everything else. Don't don't get yourself so bent out of shape and worked up running here and there and all over the place and trying to get in, you know, a bunch of other, uh, you know, activities, sports, practices, as if Sunday's just another day. It's not. Like, God knew we need a break. We can't keep going like this all the time. We need time just to relax, settle down, let the mind quiet, enjoy time with family. So rather than asking, you know, can I do things on Sunday that I gave up? Try adding something like, I don't know, keep the whole, keep holy the Sabbath day. Uh, keep holy the, the Lord's day. So there's, there's something to keep in mind uh, during, during the week there. Okay, uh, checking in on my questions here. Oh, I see Lisa is on. Good to have Lisa with us. Um, we're a little earlier this week for those just popping on. So yes, we are live from 5.30 to 6.30 tonight. Um, instead of our normal 6.30 time because I've got to go hear confessions of those terrible, miserable little second grade sinners who are going to make their, their first uh, confessions tonight. Uh, so they take precedence. Uh, we, we have our School of Religion uh, meeting tonight at uh, 6.30, so that's where I'll be. Um, okay, but we are talking about liturgy tonight and your, your liturgy questions. Uh, so right now I'm kind of going on ones that people have sent in and, and people that have questions. And we're, we're looking a little bit about liturgical things of, of Lent. Um, someone asked, what about incense? When, when is incense required? Okay, well, uh, it used to be, so, and I, I suppose it used to, but uh, still is in the uh, extraordinary form or Latin mass, in a, normally a, a sung mass or misa cantata, uh, a high mass as it would be called. Uh, incense was often used, you know, every Sunday at the uh, the high mass or the sung mass, uh, and it was quasi required. It, it, it's required at the solemn mass, um, but in the Novus Ordo, it's it's never technically required at mass. Uh, however, it could be used at any mass. So um, what we typically do is we've kind of reduced it to more solemn occasions uh, to to uh, kind of mark some additional solemnity. Personally, um, like when I was in Washington, D.C., uh, I was at the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, and we, we used incense every Sunday at the High Mass. The, the sung mass with the choir always had incense. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's meant to, as all, all liturgical symbols, maybe we should just mention a little bit, like, what it's about. Uh, incense is one of those things that doesn't require a whole lot of explanation. Most people understand... Um, the idea of incense as being somehow a holy offering to God. But in case you haven't noticed, uh, okay, hey, Eddie's on. Good to good to see you again, Eddie. Um, uh, incense rises up to God. So uh, right away, you can you can see that uh, like the the Psalms speak of like incense rising to God. So let our our prayers rise up to God. Uh, so that's, uh, that's one kind of way to see it. Oh, hold on a second. Uh, so yeah, our prayers, our prayers can rise up to God like incense. So the smoke naturally goes up to God. 
so again, we, we kind of in my homily last weekend, I talked about how up is up is good, uh, up is heaven, down is hell. I mean, it's not really like that, but we associate God with being up, uh, probably because well, you know, Jesus ascended up. You go up on a mountain to meet God. So part of the deal uh, with the smoke is it goes up to God, and as our prayers go up. Also, if you noticed a little bit from this last weekend's gospel uh, with the story of the transfiguration, uh, notice that when, when the voice of the Father is heard, uh, it says that a cloud uh, enveloped or, or covered Peter, James, John, Jesus, uh, Moses, Elijah, everyone that's up on the mountain, all of a sudden they, they get enclouded. <laughs> um, that's always a, a sign of the presence of God as well. Of when when God came down upon Mount Sinai, uh, a cloud uh, went up to show the presence. When when God was uh, present in, for instance, the the temple, uh, well, a, a cloud came up so that people would know, oh, hey, God is God is there. So um, that's that's also a sign of the presence of God. In fact, uh, the the cloud. Uh, in the temple, actually, it denoted God's presence, and the cloud left when when God left the temple. So that that's a pretty big deal uh, to think that God's presence is there, and that the uh, the cloud would would actually leave um, when God left. So a cloud is also the the symbol of the uh, the the presence of of God uh, in the temple, and the presence of God on the mountain, and. Uh, just God's presence in general. So I always like it when we have incense, when I get like a, a big cloud of incense so that, you know, it smokes up the whole place. Um, and, and you feel like, like on the Mount of Transfiguration where you've, you've entered uh, a cloud. Um, now, it, it's also kind of neat because, um, well, it, it, it touches everything. So like the incense is blessed. Here's a little liturgical thing you might not notice. When, when the priest puts incense, the, the little thing that holds the incense, by the way, that's called the boat, because it's often shaped like a boat. Um, and it's put in the thurible. That's the, the incense burner thing. It's called the thurible, or the sensor. Um, when it's put in, traditionally, three little scoops of incense, uh, you'll notice the priest make the sign of the cross over it. Um, he, he blesses it. In the, the new rite, saying nothing. Uh, in the old rite, uh, May you be blessed by him in whose name you are burned. Um, in other words, we're, we're offering incense to God, so may he bless the incense. So it's it's literally holy smoke, literally. Uh, and then when it, everything it touches becomes like holy. Like, you, you know, like when you sprinkle with holy water, you make the sign of the cross when it, you know. Uh, incense is kind of like, you know, holy water, but it's holy smoke. Um, so the incense gets blessed. Uh, and then we, you know, we make this, this huge cloud and, uh, there are different numbers of times that the thurible would be swung back and forth, depending on what you're, what you're incensing. And you notice even like the, the gifts get incensed. So the sacrifices and then get this, uh, people get incensed. Why? Because we're sacrificed too. You remember that little part, pray brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the almighty father. Uh, Yeah. You're a sacrifice. St. Paul tells us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's why you get incensed uh, at, at Mass. Don't get incensed when you're at Mass, although you might if there's a clown celebrating and there's choir. It's not really a choir. Let's assume you don't get incensed, but you should get incensed uh, if, if they're incensed used at Mass. That's a little liturgical humor, folks, there. I said it's liturgical nerd night, so there we go. Uh, oh, Eddie has a question. What is the best prayer to pray during adoration? in your opinion. Okay, so we're talking about incense, so that's a good segue, because one of the times we do use incense uh, is when we have the Blessed Sacrament exposed. Um, so talk about, you know, having the smoke go up to indicate God's presence. Uh, we will expose Jesus in the, the monstrance, that's called exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, and then we'll, we'll incense the, the monstrance in there to, to uh, help, you know, visually, we are connecting in a deeper way to see God present on the altar. After all, we know Jesus is present in the tabernacle, even if, you know, he's not out in the monstrance. Um, but then he's he's also, you know, we need the visual sign uh, that, that Jesus is present. And so the, 
the holy smoke kind of allows us to not only see, but also smell. Uh, the psychologist told us that smell is one of the most important senses. Like we were, we have memories that go with smell for a long time. So we, we literally as Catholics recognize that we are bodily people. So we use all of our senses. We are going to see Jesus present in the Eucharist and we're probably going to ring bells when we're blessing. You're going to, you're going to smell it. Uh, you know, you, you, we, we get to eat God in the Eucharist. Literally we, we taste touch all of it. Isn't that awesome? It's like God knows that we're bodily people. And we need all of it. So anyway, uh, Eddie is asking, uh, yeah, Beth is noting liturgical humor. Indeed. Liturgical nerd humor. Thank you. Um, so Eddie's asking about what to pray during adoration because there is a liturgy for the, the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament kind of, and there's a, a liturgy for benediction, but in between this period of exposition uh, is just what we often call adoration. And adoration is is one kind of prayer. Um, it, and it, it's interesting because it, it literally, um, ore is, 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 um, is, is the mouth. It would refer to like... Uh, kissing uh, uh perhaps um and then also we we put ourselves in a position to to hear and receive uh so the essence of adoration is to recognize the the glory and majesty of god so there, there's maybe if we put it in context there are different forms of christian prayer there's intercession where we, we talk to God and we, we ask for things, either for ourselves or others. Uh, thanksgiving. So we, we thank God for the, the good things we've got, the things we have. Uh, contrition. We tell God we're sorry. Um, and then there's um, adoration, which is uh, when we just recognize God for who he is. The, the, the position of prayer that probably you know most would, would flow to adoration would be either kneeling down, um, you think of the, uh, in the, in the story of the, the Pharisee and the publican, the, the guy in back who doesn't even raise his eyes to God and just beats his breast and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, we, we think of that guy, he's obviously praying in contrition, but he's also in adoration, just recognizing he's in the presence of God. Think of, think of Moses in front of the burning bush, remove your sandals, the place you stand is holy ground. Um, you know, think I'm in the presence of Almighty God. So yes, God is our, our friend uh, because Jesus Christ became one of us, became man, became our friend. This is true. Um, but that's kind of a familiar sort of prayer. Adoration, uh, adoration is owed to God alone. So we don't adore the saints, for instance, uh, contrary to what maybe some Protestants might think. We, we don't give adoration to the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, or, or any of the saints. Adoration belongs to God alone. Uh, in the Greek and Latin, it's it's got a, a fancy word, latreia, uh, or latria, uh, to refer to the the highest form of praise, adoration that is owed to God alone. So that is the formal prayer of adoration. But I suspect that uh, Eddie's asking a little bit more about what do I do during my holy hour. Okay, so so here's some things to do during your holy hour. Now, most of us, if we're going to take a whole hour, are, I mean, maybe you can just sit there and be in God's presence, talk to God. Um, you know, uh, sorry, oh, my good friend Holly's on from Denver. Uh, Beth saw my liturgical humor. Excellent. Um, so yeah, you can sit there for an hour and kind of recognize I'm in the presence of God. You may be on a very... Uh, kind of familiar place with God right now where you just want to, you know, like I often look at, you know, two people who are in love, been married a long time. Sometimes you can just sit in each other's presence and, uh, you know, you don't have to say anything. Uh, like you think of your grandparents that, well, maybe they can't hear each other anyway anymore, but maybe they just sit there and you're in each other's presence and that's, that's love. And you, you just like to be with each other. Okay. It can be like that with God. Um, but obviously I also call up my friends and I want to talk with them. So I uh, do that with God too. You know, God's our friend. He wants to hear. We just had that old scripture, you know, knock and the door will be open, ask and you will receive. Um, I kind of hate that passage sometimes because it seems like I pray and I don't get an answer. Uh, but God wants to hear. He at least tells us to ask. And so talk to God. As uh, 
you know, as the great uh, theologian John Denver would say, talk to God and listen to the casual reply. Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. Um, yeah, talk to God and listen to the casual reply. Yeah, the, the talk is a two-way street. You know, you talk to God, you say, hey, God, I'm here, it's me. Uh, how you doing? This is, this is kind of what's on my mind. And then stop and listen. See what God says. Because one of the great things about our God, he is an awesome God. He reigns. Um, but he's also imminent. He's, he's here with us. And so he wants to have a conversation. So part of what you might do during your adoration is have a conversation with God. Uh, in Latin, we call this a colloquy. To talk literally means to talk with, to talk back and forth. Uh, so maybe we meditate. Maybe we read sacred scripture. We think about that over in our mind. So I might meditate on the fact that God is saying, you know, what father would give his son uh, a stone when he asked for a loaf of bread? Hmm, okay, I might meditate on that. Or what father would give his, you know, son a, a scorpion if he asked for an egg or whatever, it's different in each gospel. Um, if you who are wicked know how to good good gifts to your children, how much more will Heavenly Father give you what you need and what you ask for? So you might just sit and meditate on that. Like, yes, I have a father who loves me. He does give me what is best. Even if maybe I ask for something and it's it's not maybe the best thing. Maybe I can't tell what is the best thing, but God knows. Uh, so maybe you just kind of sit with that and meditate on it. Med refers to the head. That med part is kind of the, the head um, thinking. But then you're going to talk with God about it. Colloquy. So like, okay, God. Um, yeah, so here's some things I want to ask for. I want to pray for this, and I want to pray for that. And uh, I want to pray for me. And, you know, oh, but who am I? I'm a little unworthy. So you move into contrition. And like, oh my gosh, I've been sinning all over the place. And I'm sorry about that, God. But I know you love me anyway. So I'm still going to, you know, ask for this. And like, oh my gosh. And then maybe the presence of God just kind of overwhelms you. And you just shut up. Um, literally the word mute. It comes from the, the Greek word mueo, which means to, to shut the mouth, to be quiet. Um mystery the word mystery comes from that same root it means maybe you just get overwhelmed by the fact that wait a minute i'm talking to god wow that's amazing and you just shut up and you're like i'm in the presence of god and maybe that just washes over you um those are all kind of things that might happen uh in a time of adoration uh and it would be different every time uh but even saint Teresa said like you know i always bring a book um because sometimes i i just get bored or can't find the right words. So it's it's fine to use like scripture to read from or a, a, a prayer book um, or even like, you know, people like, should I pray the rosary during my time of adoration? Sure, you, you can do that. Um, part of the point of the, the rosary is to get into a state of meditation where you can kind of meditate on the mysteries. But don't think in your, I, I see some people, they come to their like holy hour period of adoration and they've got like, you know, a checklist of, okay, this is gonna be really boring and I've got a lot of time to kill, so I'm gonna make sure I've got like these eight things that I wanna do during my holy hour to keep myself busy. Okay, well, you know, you, you don't have to uh, think you have to fill the time, all right? Sometimes it's okay to just be like, God, um, all right, I'm a little bored, refocus, you know? Um, so anyway, th those are things you might do. Oh, and Eddie likes my John Denver, yes. Um, I love the mountains. Uh, Eddie and I, I, I don't know if you'll be out at Philmont, but I'll be out at Philmont all of June this year with vaccines coming out. It looks like, praise God, God willing, this summer we will all be back at Philmont and doing normal um, normal summer things. So I hope to be there too. Uh, Jean McClendon, my aunt, asks, when the gifts are incense, why is the incenser swung twice in a circle in one direction and then once in the other direction? Great question. Um... So I've often talked here about the, uh, the old form and the new form, the, the extraordinary form, the ordinary form, the Latin mass, the new mass, all those kinds of things. So um, in the extraordinary form or Latin mass, when the, the gifts are incensed, uh, so this is like right before the Eucharistic prayer, uh, right before you all stand up and you get incensed, uh, it, it's, it's very specific in the extraordinary form how the incensing is done. So... The sign of the cross is made over the gifts three times with the incense, and then it goes around in a circle twice one way, and then once the other way. 
Um, it there, there's actually a little prayer that goes along with it. Essentially, the origin of it is, well, I mean, obviously making the sign of the cross. Ordinarily, if there's not incense used, the priest would do that with his with his hand, and he does a lot. Uh, so we, we bless things with the sign of the cross. So that's why the, the sign of the cross. Um, the, the circles are just kind of to encompass all of the gifts. Uh, and you can we can kind of add symbolism to that if you want. Uh, but the idea is to get smoke all over the, the gifts, so to speak. Uh, but that's in the extraordinary form. In the ordinary form, there is no mention of how to incense the the gifts. They are incensed three times, is what it says. Uh, you you know, keeping with the tradition of the church, I don't think it's wrong to to use the traditional form of incensing. Uh, what normally happens in the new mass is it's less specific uh, than in the old mass. I shouldn't say old mass because both are right now happening uh so in the ordinary form and the extraordinary form uh when the gifts are incensed um if you see the priest do the circles around the gifts just know that uh when it was specified exactly how to incense the gifts that that was part of the instructions so some priests might do it uh to maintain some uh, mutual enrichment as pope benedict said or continuity between the extraordinary form and the ordinary form um and, and so that's something I guess you could say would be laudably uh, done where it's not specific how to do it in, in the new mass. So, all right. Um, what else we got? Oh, okay. Eddie's going to be at head of Dean. Excellent. Wonderful. I'll go check out the swing there. That will be great. Um, I'll swing by to head of Dean. Um, yeah. Okay. Other liturgy questions. I, I'm seeing everybody on Sean the Baptist here. I do not... You know, I'm not seeing questions on the um, St. Patrick's page. So if you're watching on St. Patrick's, drop me a question. Looks like everyone's checking in on the, the Sean the Baptist one. Um, so uh, other liturgical uh, questions that, that came in this week. Um, people asked about the penitential act at the beginning of Mass. So this is often called uh, the confitior, which in Latin means I confess. Confitior Deo Omnipotenti, I confess to Almighty God, you my brothers and sisters. Uh, that thing, that, interestingly, in the uh, extraordinary form, this is much more elaborate because it's not just you my brothers and sisters. Uh, I confess to Almighty God, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, Saint uh, Michael the Archangel, Saint John the Baptist, uh, Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, uh, all the saints, and you my brothers, uh, the priest in the solemn mass literally turns to the deacon and the subdeacon referring to the ministers there with him uh so you confess not my brothers and sisters but to all those people specific um and with, with john the baptist being my patron whenever i'm like you know you want to day i'm like yeah to john the baptist my friend um our sins are real they affect real people and so we confess to real people uh, even those angels and saints in heaven. Uh, so we, we, we make this act of, of penance. So notice that it comes at the beginning of Mass uh, so that, that we can uh, basically say when we come to Mass, most of us, oh, oh, hey, people down below, Sean the Baptist live, excellent. I'm, I'm like, you know, like the Fox News or NBC studio or something right now. People can walk by the windows uh, and see that Sean the Baptist is live. So that, that's a little neat. Um, anyway, back to the penitential act. If we're going to come worship God, part of that adoration idea maybe is that we're unworthy. Like, who am I to, to be in the presence of God? Like Moses fell on his face, took off his sandals, um, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, who am I? Uh, so we need to, before we offer our worship to God, we need to make sure we're in a good state. So that means certainly that we, we come before God having, you know, gone to confession uh, if we've committed any mortal sins. Yes, this is still the law of the church. Uh, you, you cannot receive communion if, if you're not in a, what we call a state of grace, meaning if you've committed a mortal sin that has not been remitted in the sacrament of penance, then, then you cannot receive communion. Okay, that, that, that's part of this whole deal about like, quote unquote, denying people communion. Uh, there's two aspects of, of that. Well, one, you need, uh, you know, there's scandal. Uh, so if, if someone is a notorious public sinner, 
um, someone who we know is violating serious tenets of the Catholic faith publicly and obstinately, meaning they've been warned and told, um, it would be scandalous because it looks like, for all intents and purposes, they're not in a state of grace. They're committing mortal sin. Uh, so there's the scandal, and then there's the uh, the pastoral side of it. I, I don't want to hurt my people. So if, if they're in a state of mortal sin uh, and I give them the Eucharist, it's harmful. Now, it, it's not on me if, if I don't know, but as the priest, um, if it's public, I'm not saying private, like the priest is never going to reveal what happens in confession. And obviously uh, denying someone the Eucharist because it's something you only know from confession never happens. Can't do it. Uh, I'm, uh, the law says public. So um, if we are publicly not in a state of grace, it would not be charitable for the, the priest to give communion to someone because the, the Eucharist is harmful. Uh, Paul says, you know, let someone examine himself before he receives the Eucharist because uh, you eat and drink judgment upon yourself if you're not in a state of grace. Um, so anyway, we want to be in right relationship with God when we come to Mass. And so the penitential act is a chance for us to make a little act of contrition, as it were. Tell God, okay, before I enter this greatest prayer of adoration and intercession, I'm going to be contrite. I'm going to say, I confess. And notice it's not we confess or, you know, we have been bad. It's like, no, I confess. And it's beautiful in the actual uh, wording in the Latin. And now we've got it in the English. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Yeah, not somebody else. Notice how many times we blame other people for our sins. Or it's not my fault or I'm the victim. And um, no, we actually are called to beat our breast, you know, open palm or fist, whichever. It's my fault. And as if to make sure we're, we're clear here, like, no, it's my fault. Me. Way bad me, you know. Um, so we start Mass with that, not to uh, to put a damper on everything, but to get it out of the way. Because then, I mean, when Satan tries to beat you up in the rest of the Mass, like, oh, you're not worthy to be here. Who are you? Nope, got rid of that. Did it at the beginning. I'm good. Uh, and so when, when the priest... Uh, praise that little prayer. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, lead us to everlasting life. Um, that is not sacramental absolution, so it doesn't absolve you of mortal sins. But anytime we ask God forgiveness for our venial sins, he, he does. Those don't require sacramental absolution. So when we go to Mass and we make a good act of contrition in the Confidier, we, our venial sins are forgiven. So we can worship God rightly knowing that we are, we are without sin, at least basically during the Mass. And so we can worthily offer our our, our gifts. Um, so uh, it would be it would be great uh, if all of us could really enter into that. Um, so I uh, I really like to emphasize the penitential act. So many times, uh, you know, in in the extraordinary form, uh, the the priest does this at the foot of the altar with the ministers before they even go up to the altar to start mass. Uh, they're called the prayers at the foot of the altar. Uh, and the priest confesses, and and then the servers confess, and and just uh, you know to make sure we're good, uh, it, it's possible for there to be another confession right before communion. Um, although it's not normally done now because different liturgical nerd stuff we won't get into. But um, this is a big deal, and it's kind of replaced in the Novus Ordo sometimes with with some you know little words about Jesus, you know. Jesus, you are so nice to us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Um, it's not really the point of the penitential act to say nice things about Jesus. It's really to unburden our conscience of sin so we can worship well. So, yeah, when we do that at the beginning of Mass, make sure, even if it is one of those kind of new fluffy little invocation sort of things, at least know that what you're doing there is you're wanting to make an act of contrition for your sins so that you can then worship God well. Uh, after that comes the, the Kyrie. Uh, by the way, if you're Catholic, you're doing all kinds of languages. Kyrie, it's always funny to me when um, like I'll do the Kyrie and then people say, I don't like all that Latin. Okay, well, Kyrie is Greek. <laughs> okay, Kurios is, is Lord. Kyrie is the, the vocative, uh, masculine singular. O Lord, Kyrie, eleison, Christe eleison, O Christ, have mercy on us, Lord have mercy. Uh, it is originally a musical thing so it'll you often have it sent to music but again it kind of in song or chant then intones uh what we've said in our active contrition lord have mercy christ have mercy lord have mercy 
So that is all at the uh, the beginning of the liturgy. And and so that's kind of what we do here, like during all of Lent. Uh, we, we emphasize on this need for penitence and, and asking for forgiveness. Uh, and um, so we start Mass that way in order to be clean uh, of all that. Now notice also during Lent, oh, so Eddie is asking about adoration at the St. George Chapel. Yeah, I can do that if I'm there. Uh, what is the protocol if the priest breaks the seal of confession? Um, so if the priest breaks the seal of confession, he is automatically excommunicated. True that. Uh, there are some excommunications in the law that are um, what are called latte sententia or automatic, uh, meaning they don't uh, now they don't really have effect uh, if they're not publicly declared. So if a priest knows he broke the uh, the sacrament, the, the the seal of confession. Um, well, then he, he has to actually, if it's private, he would write to Rome to be forgiven uh, of, of that uh, penalty of excommunication, uh, which is automatic. So priest, not going to do it. I, I don't know of any priest in my whole life who's willfully violated the seal of confession. Uh, but e even on accident, if it's indirect, uh, it still carries a penalty. So priests are normally super, super careful with this stuff. Like the way I just treated, like I, whatever happened to confession didn't happen. It's between you and Jesus. I'm just there in the person of Jesus, and so it didn't happen. Um, but it it does happen, sadly. So there is a penalty for it in order to uh, maintain that discipline. It does come up more today in that a lot of not a lot, but it, it's becoming frequently more attacked that uh, people are are trying to change laws to get priests to like have to violate the seal. Just so you know, no matter what law is passed, no priest is going to violate the seal of confession. Not going to happen. I mean, priests are going to go to jail rather than violate the seal of confession, so don't worry. Uh, we, we've managed to make it through the whole history of the church, uh, you know, since the time of Irish monks, anyway, evangelizing Europe uh, with the seal of confession. And um, yeah, priests aren't going to violate the seal no matter what the law says. So don't worry. The priest is never going to knowingly uh, share anything that happened in your confession. Uh, Diane Leonard wants to know, will you do a Latin Mass at St. Pat's? I would love to, in fact, I do Latin Mass at St. Pat's on my, my day off, um, you know, just privately. Um, you know, the, the instructions that uh, Pope Benedict gave are if you, if you would like the celebration of the Extraordinary Form and you've got a, a group of people that would like that, you are to make your request known to your sacred pastors. Um, and so you are, you are making it known to me that you would like that. Uh, I have I have brought that up uh, here at St. Pat's and amongst the uh, regional priests uh, here in Wyandotte County because um, there are a number of people who would like that. So uh, I would be open to doing that. It, it depends on some other, you know, logistical things of figuring out where to do it and do we have, you know, a stable group of people who would want it and, and do we have priests other than just me uh, who would be able to make sure that it happens and I, I think we do. So um, I invite you to if you would like the Latin Mass, St. Pat's, or anywhere, uh, we have lots of people listening that are, are not just here local. So uh, be nice, okay? Uh, yes, Pope Benedict said all priests should know how to celebrate the Extraordinary Farm Latin Mass, but we're we're not there yet. <laughs> so don't be mean to your priest, um, but try to help. I mean, offer to uh, pay to send him to a class to learn the Latin Mass. Or, you know, uh, offer your sons to, to serve the Latin Mass, help them to, to learn. Um, a lot of you know that my last parish of St. Michael's, I had Harrison Butker, the, the chief's place kicker, was my altar server. And lo and behold, lots of high school boys and uh, some junior high boys wanted to learn how to serve the Latin Mass because, oh, I'll serve with the chief's kicker. Uh, so, yeah, um, do what you can to help it along. And then do pray for your priests, that priests will be open to this. Um, you know, we're, we're still in a little bit of a transition time in which there's there's unnecessary political kind of baggage of people who don't understand what Vatican II did or what Vatican II said and thinks that it got rid of things like this. It didn't. Uh, but just know that there might just be political baggage with your priest uh, that you're never going to be able to overcome with uh, argument or sound logic or anything like that. It might just be some kind of personal gut feeling as... I don't like that stuff. Well, keep trying. Uh, priests end up doing a lot of things we don't like if, if people pester enough. So keep trying. 
Uh, so there you go, Diane. I hope that, that answered that question. We're coming up on the end of our hour here. I've been kind of just uh, hitting a little liturgical potpourri of questions that, that uh, people have. Um, I, I am a bit of a liturgy nerd, and, you know, I'm okay with that. I am secure in my liturgical nerdness. Uh, I, I have what's called a, a licentiate or a license in sacred theology, which in the uh, church degree system, it's kind of in between a, a master's and a doctorate. So I, I, I write basically a smaller dissertation to get the license, and if I want to get the doctorate, I would write a bigger dissertation. But uh, I've got all the knowledge. There's no classes or anything to take anymore. Um, but it's a little bit different system in the church. So I am a licensed liturgy nerd, if, if you want to go with that. Um, the other thing that you'll notice in, in Lent, a little liturgical addition. Um, so uh, at the end of Mass, normally there are kind of two options for the way we might end um, one is just, you know, at the end of that prayer after communion, may almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, there's also what's known as the solemn blessing in which it would be, you know, the Lord be with you, with your spirit, bow down for the blessing. God, you are so great. You did this. Keep doing this. Amen. You did all this and you're amazing. Amen. And we'd really like you to continue doing this. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. However, in Lent, there is yet a, uh, a third option, and that is the prayer over the people. Uh, and so it, it ends Mass kind of like a solemn blessing, except uh, they're often very specific to pray uh, to help the people through their Lenten observances. So, for instance, a lot of times... Uh, the, the prayer of the people will mention the fact that we are fasting. Uh, we are disciplining ourselves. So that might make us weaker in, in body. So strengthen your people, Lord, for what they've undertaken. Uh, you know, help them to persevere through their Lenten disciplines. And so the prayer over the people is often directed at, at helping us persevere uh, through the time of testing uh, of Lent. And so at the end of every uh, weekday Mass and on Sundays, uh, there is an optional prayer over the people. So again, yeah, your priest doesn't have to do it, but hey, I I'm like, let's use the tools we got. We we need more prayer, more intercession for us. So why the heck not? If I can pray a prayer over my people as their father, as their priest, uh, that God would help them, why wouldn't I do that? Uh, so I do, uh, but it is an option in the missile for the uh, for the weekdays of, of Lent, especially it's there and the, there even some on the Sundays as well. So prayer over the people would be uh, something new there as well. All right, uh, Eddie wants to know, is the Catholic Church too wealthy? Um, well, to the extent that we get focused on worldly things and uh, taking care of the merely temporal realm to the, uh, the fact that we don't take care of the spiritual realm, well, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Uh, that refers not to just individually, but to the church as well. So to the extent that we become so worried about money and, uh, you know, lawsuits or maintaining buildings to the detriment of spreading the gospel, we're too wealthy. That would be big trouble. On the other hand, people who are, are very wealthy can do really great things with their wealth, and that can be the church as well. Um, all that lavishness of the Vatican, um, well, what other what other place could a poor person come and, and go walk through rooms painted by Michelangelo or, or see works by Da Vinci? Uh, you know, poor people are welcome in the Vatican Museum. Poor people are welcome in St. Peter's. So it's everybody's. So, you know, people make fun of like, oh, the paintings and the Vatican Museums and the wealth. That, uh, you know, what, if church sold it, it would all be in like private collections and then nobody could see it except really wealthy people. So... The church does good good work uh, with maintaining the material possessions that she's got, and she also does pretty good work uh, with the financial contributions. You know, you know, Catholic Relief Services is the largest charity in the world, and um, we need to be prudent with where we send our money. Make sure we're, we're following up. Um, you know, maybe make sure that the cause you're giving to is is actually a, a good one. Um, so we would be good stewards uh, as well there. All right. Well, it is 6.30, which uh, if you're just joining, that would be the normal time for the start of Sean the Baptist Live. However, we are finishing on this Wednesday, March 3rd, because I get to now go clean up those 
dirty little second graders uh, with their terrible, terrible sins. We want them to be in a state of grace to be able to receive communion worthily uh, this weekend. So they're going to make their first uh, confession tonight, receive the sacrament of penance for the first time. And so uh, this week and next week, we'll also be again at 530. Uh, So if you're just joining, we're done. Um, And the same way next week, 530, and, and then we'll be back at our normal 630 time. Thank you for joining me tonight. And if ever you've got questions outside of the live time, go ahead and just uh, email, send them to me, and uh, I'll get to your your questions. And maybe we'll do questions each time if they come in. And I, I love to have you participate live because uh, that way I can take your questions as they come. So I appreciate everyone joining tonight. Uh, this has been Sean the Baptist Live for Wednesday, March 3rd, Wednesday in the second week of Lent. We'll be back with you 530 next week. God bless you all.